Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Do I know you? I mow your lawn. No. <laughs> yeah? You're not the lawnmower man. Dr. Angelo, I think people can tell that, that I'm changing. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. His mind is like a clean, hungry sponge. We haven't been tapping into new areas of the brain. We've just been awakening the most ancient. Human race lost that knowledge and now I'm reclaiming it through virtual reality. As part of our Bargain Bin series, today we're going to be discussing The Lawnmower Man, starring Jeff Fahey, Pierce Brosnan, and Jenny Wright. Directed by Brett Leonard. Man may be able to evolve a thousandfold through this technology, but the rush must be tempered with wisdom. This technology has peeled back a layer to reveal another universe. I'm sorry you hate what you have created. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. I'm a clean, hungry sponge. It's Gally in Glasgow. <laughs> and waiting for somebody to check my fluids. It's Devlin in London. And it's Patrick coming from Leicester this week. This is something. And we haven't had something in a while. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we would like to uh, wish everybody a happy new year. First podcast of 2019. We have delved into the bargain bin and we've only gone and picked out the lawnmower man. And not Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man. Yes, Devlin, a mute point and something that we will no doubt get into. Guys, uh, did you did you see The Lawnmower Man in the 1990s? I did, yes. I, uh, I rented it from the uh, spa shop. In Herworth, which doubled as the video shop, the film posters would be placed on the the front of the tills, and they never changed them. I remember uh, Alien Resurrection sat on that till for a good like four years after it was released. How old were you, Devin? Uh, when I rented it, well, I mean, it would have been a couple of years after it came out. So let's say ten, eleven, maybe twelve, somewhere like that. The poster had the the eye on it. I definitely remember it had. The, the you know the big uh, blue eye with the the gyroscope and the Vitruvian man thing. Oh, and then um, him lawn mowing underneath it, right? <laughs> yes, that's yeah. the one. <laughs> Got to have something of the source material in there. <laughs> yeah. How about yeah? Uh, how about you, gals? Yeah, I saw this one in my very very early teenage years. Not gonna lie, absolutely loved this film. Uh, as a youngling it was everything i wanted i'd just gotten into sort of video games I had a sega mega drive so computers were a big big thing for me and so was stephen king so i was like a huge huge stephen king fan not really in the books only in the adaptations i saw i watched all of them so i watched the tommy knockers the stand it you name you name it stephen king and i watched it so when it was originally stephen king's law merman that excited me Video games excited me, and so did the sex. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a triple threat for me as a teen. I'll be interested to know uh, how it has changed as I now come to it as an adult. What about you, Patrick? As soon as you picked it out of the bargain bin, my initial thought was, oh, I, I obviously know it, but I haven't seen it. And then it was really weird watching it. I remembered scenes, and I remembered imagery, and I remembered certain aspects of it. Um, I forgot Pierce Brosnan was in it and then when he appeared I remembered he was in it and I remembered watching him in the film so I can't remember if 
it's that kind of infamous film that I've just seen examples of and scenes of down the years, or if it was a film that was on in the background at some point. But um, mm. I was definitely familiar with the cyber sex, um, yeah, yeah, which I think has been, you know, like I said, shown quite well, and it's easy to recognise. I I will go into this today with you guys as though it's the first time I've seen seen it properly because really it is well the big selling point in 1992 you've got to remember what a year out from terminator 2 so minds are blown special effects are now a thing ilm in a year's time they're going to do jurassic park and that's going to blow everyone's minds even further i can't believe can you actually believe though that this is one year before one year before they were creating almost photorealistic dinosaurs and this is the best they could come up with we need to remove 2019 and where we're at and just think okay in 1992 audiences would have never seen anything like this before the old concept of virtual reality is like a big thing they're pushing and these effects would have been the thing that you would have gone to see yeah forget about pierce brosnan they were the new stunts weren't they these special effects Absolutely. So um, I was looking at like films in and around that time that came out. Disclosure had a VR scene in it. Yeah, that's the best one as well. (laughs) Some some Crichton thriller that's got to do with uh, sort of sex in the workplace. And we've, we've got to see where Michael Douglas is waving his hands around with a VR set. So it was a thing in the early 90s. And as much as we may look at the effects now and kind of just think they are laughable. You have to realise, you know, back then they come a long way. Yeah, I remember. I remember the computer shop in town having an actual like VR station, and that was when I was about ten years old or something in the early nineties. Having a VR station and going in that and thinking it was the coolest thing ever. Everyone was queuing up for it. You know, it was insane at that time. And it's we've picked a film that's quite. I don't know. I suppose it's having a comeback as VR, isn't it? It's been a big selling toy, not this Christmas, the year before, and mm-hmm. Samsung. Yeah. You've got VR experiences. VR experiences. In... The works. Yeah. It's really coming back in a big way at the moment. God, have we just said that Lawnmower Man was ahead of its time? Wow. <laughs> ahead of its time and yet timeless. As much as this film is known for its revolutionary special effects, um, there's not as many as you think in the film no. um but a little but again a, a good comparison is with terminator 2 you know we look at that as like being a sort of pioneer of special effects there aren't actually that many what i would argue is you've got a far more skilled filmmaker and far more skilled craftsmen on terminator 2 that integrate those special effects with practical effects therefore those effects still hold up in lawnmower man those effects do not hold up. You're telling me you don't believe that that man, that priest is on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Or that uh, he breaks down people to a molecular (laughs) level, which is the size of golf balls. That's actually one of the better effects in the film, I'd say. (laughs) He turns them into swirly bubbles and he makes them fly away. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's devious, certainly. It's it's. Oh, they didn't yeah. see it coming. No, they did not <laughs> see that coming. <laughs> Just before we get into the actual film, though, uh, something I, it, it not specifically reminded me of, but it got me thinking of. Do you remember that kids' program, um, Nightmare, when we were younger? Yeah. It was on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It brought me back to that. I started thinking about that for some reason, and I, God, I used to love that program. I, yeah, I can see the similarities. Like, um, you know, the the big kind of digit, very 
rudimentary digitally rendered environments. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I imagine Dr. Lawrence Angelo, that's probably one of the games he invited uh, Job in to play. <laughs> all the, all the neighborhood with, kids. With, with the kid from, um, what's his, he was from Last Action Hero, it's that kid, wasn't Austin he? Austin O'Brien, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. Devlin, do you want to give us the plot? Job. A simple-minded gardener becomes the test subject in an experiment to use virtual reality to imbue him with greatly increased intelligence. But due to the meddling of the shadowy organization bankrolling the project, his newfound smarts evolved to unleash terrifying powers. And now Dr. Larry Angelo must step in to destroy his powerful creation before he can telephone everyone on Earth. And possibly also maybe take over the world. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, ambiguous at the end what Joe's master plan is. Apart from he just wants to be hooked up to the internet, I guess. What I will do before we get into the actual narrative is I'm going to give you a little bit of a background. So you already alluded to it earlier, Devlin, that this was not Stephen King's Law Merman. Mm. So Stephen King wrote uh, a short, uh, short story called Law Merman in like 1975. New Line Cinema, who are the the dastardly owners of this here property, <laughs> uh, they actually had the they had the rights to uh, they had the rights to this story. And I know that you've got some hypotheses, Devlin, mm-hmm. about how this film got created and how Stephen King's Law Merman becomes this cyber VR catastrophe. Yeah. Well, actually the story is pretty simple. The original script is written by the director and the producer, which is Brett Leonard and the producer, which is his wife, Gimmel Everett. Uh, and they had a, they had a spec script called cyber God and, uh, had nothing to do with King's short story. New line seminar. I've got the rights to it. Can we just expand the short story? Stephen King is selling everywhere. Like he's still got some pretty good cachet. You've got to remember, um, you know, he's made, his name's been on Carrie, hmm. the TV we're only, miniseries, um, what, like two in years, the stand. We're, we're like two years after Misery here, which was... Yes, exactly. And Misery like is most, Academy uh, Award winning. Yeah. So, yeah. He, he's still got some credit in the bank and audiences are definitely, definitely going to go and see anything with Stephen King, even still in 1992. So, New Line Cinema, as clever as they are, just went, well, just take Cyber God and mash it with Stephen King, put a little mower in, I, we're done. I don't want to interrupt there, but did you say a man and his wife made this film? Yes, yes, yes. You would, you'd be surprised to know that there was any kind of female input considering <laughs> the female characters that are on show in this film. They're a female character? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? At least there's female representation because yeah. there ain't a black or a brown man in sight in this bad boy. There's an Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 and his and his non-Irish brother. So to be honest, that is actually pretty much exactly what my hypothesis was for this. That they had some script that they'd written. My well, my my first instinct was because they're credited also as creating all of the um, virtual reality world effects. I got the impression that they were desperate to f- put that in a film somehow. Like they they'd created these mm-hmm. little effects. They wanted to show them off. And so they thought, let's just write, you know, some slightly derivative bullshit around it in order to get that on screen. And then the studio said, can you put a lawnmower in it? And they said, yeah. <laughs> and then that's how you end up with this with this hot garbage. One of the things that, that really I wasn't really surprised about, because like I said, I was a huge fan of this film as a teen. 
and they know what audience they're going for in this. This film was made what with like ten million, ten million dollar mm. budget. Yeah, makes a moderate success, thirty-two million. But I think you've got to remember it's a horror film at its real core. And for horror films in '92, that's pretty good. Uh, tri- tripling your money is great, especially theatrically, because it's going to have legs. I mean, this was—I saw it on video. You guys saw it after the fact. This made over a hundred million in the home video market. I bet it. I bet it's one of those really paused films as well, right? Everyone pausing it at certain moments just to look at the effects or the um, or the boobies that eventually come out as well. But as per <laughs> loads of '90s films. Nah, sh- Surely everyone's pausing it on some Fahe butt. <laughs> <laughs> when he gets his Or jeans. don't forget Pierce's lovely chest. Why does he yeah. always get his chest out? It's like it's in his fucking contract. It's like, when I'm sitting, I... <laughs> it's unbuttoned shirts. It's mad. He must have been in competition with uh, Fahe, surely. I was going to say, so Stephen King, uh, he, despite her many adaptations that are shite... Uh, that have his name on. This is the one that kind of uh, broke the camel's back. So he um, he cites that the reason why he sued New Line was because this had absolutely nothing to do with his original story. And uh, I love the way that New Line Cinema, they they had the court injunction to remove Stephen King's Lawnmower Man and just to call it the Lawnmower Man. They abided. And then when they released it on uh, VHS and DVD, they just like, uh, put Stephen King's name back on it. No <laughs> yeah. The further consequences or what? Yeah, they were getting fined uh, quite a hefty fee uh, until they till they removed it. But by then, they probably made their sales. <laughs> well, they were probably weighing up like the extra revenue that you would get being able to flog it as a Stephen King adaptation versus you know the potential court losses. Devlin, you've read the original short story from Stephen King. So what I would like you to do is as we go through the plot, can you highlight where there is any semblance of King's original story? Would you like me to just tell you right now? If it's that slight, then please yeah. tell. The story is uh, seven pages about a guy who hires a, uh, a lawn mowing service. A guy turns up. The lawn mowing service has the same name as the lawn mower service in the movie. So there's one connection. And it's about a guy mowing nice. the lawn. Tick. Uh, but the lawn mower <laughs> is not... Um, a shall we say simpleton he's just a guy he's quite it's quite a corpulent guy so the 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 guy who hires him says oh yeah go out back go high go mow the lawn and i'll stay here and then uh he goes off to do something else and then he ends up looking out of his back window and notices that the lawnmower is running itself and the the guy is crawling behind it naked on all fours, eating all the grass clippings. No, no virtual reality or anything. Nope. Uh, he goes out to ask what's going on, and the guy says that, uh, oh, he's got uh, hooves. So he's a, he's a, a satyr or a satyr <laughs> uh, who worships Pan, and sometimes him oh, right. and his boss uh, sacrifice people to Pan. And he says to, to the guy, like, you know, if you're not cool with this, I could probably just, like, sacrifice you or whatever. And so the guy says, no, I love it. It's brilliant. Pan's great. Goes inside to call the police. The lawnmower sends the mowing machine in to murder him. So there you go. There's two. Somebody gets killed by a lawnmower. So it's a bit like Christine. I can see why he sued. Tangential at best, isn't it? Oh, well, there's, there's a lawnmower and somebody gets killed with it. Enough of the head of new line. There's a lawnmower man. Yeah. And, you know, they've paid Stephen King for this seven page short story, which 
obviously could not be a film. There is literally no way you could make that a film. We start with a sort of a, an opening text, a warning, the warning, virtual reality, technology. It's widespread. Computer generated artificial worlds, their unlimited imagination. Bloody, 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 blah. But their, their one bit of kind of be careful of VR is it could be used as a form of mind control. Did anyone just think that this was really quite an odd choice? If I was to defend it, often when science fiction always looks at the worst possibilities of any uh, advancement in technology, mm. so why not explore that, that side of it? I'm not questioning that. I mean, that's what sci-fi is there to do. I just found that as that being the fear, because I think they use the word uh, fear mm. as, a, as a new form of mind control. It seems a little bit. It's just seems a bit bit small. I think I think we're immediately into um, the the fact that it doesn't seem like anyone who was involved in any of the production here really knew what it was they were dealing with, or how to handle. As far it. as the technology, you mean? As a narrative, yeah, and and also then how to integrate it properly into a narrative. So I mean, later on when we get into how the VR is actually used point out that really it's at it, it's at most it's just um people getting uh ancient runic symbols thrown at their subconscious <laughs> at a speed it's a macguffin you know if it's not vr it could just be like magic or ill-defined voodoo or something totally agree i mean the the, the explanation of how job becomes more intelligent with this technology is pretty the the breadcrumbs at best. He just yeah. seems to just uh, have a lot of images of Doctor Angelo touching his brain and throwing images at him, <laughs> and that that makes him smarter. But we don't really get much explanation, which it's, is a shame. From a from... yeah, we do. It's his brain. It's sponge. <laughs> Shut it's up, Patrick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I quite agree. It's it's a bit weird. The the imagery is not well handled at all. Like. We needed like on short circuit when he flicks through all the it's pages exactly and like that, really quick succession. We needed something like yes. that just to say well, he was absorbing information. Uh, so there is a director's cut of this film. So as we go through the plot, I will, okay. if you have questions, hopefully answer those questions <laughs> that you may have when it comes down to you, what is going on. You're a portal into the mind of Brett Leonard. I am. But what I can't <laughs> help you with, because I'm struggling with it myself, is this opening scene with Cyberchimp, which could possibly be <laughs> my favourite opening to any film ever? Because we get a little, uh, a little up. It's kind of interspersed with our info dump, where you find out that Doctor Larry and his friend, the bald guy, does he have a name? Yeah, an actor that made no impression on me in this film. I don't know who he is. Oh, uh, honestly, so inconsequential. Just the handler, as I saw him, middle management. Okay. The handler is, is is fine. So they're they're having their little info dump about how the shop, which is the only name we're ever given for the shadowy kind of backstage organization, that they want an infrared mm -hmm. battle helmet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we as they're doing that info dump, and Pierce is like, he's the he's the best chimp I've ever had. 
Fucking uh, screw we, the political are... asshole. <laughs> He's the best chimp I've ever had. <laughs> Honestly, the way that they... Oh. So if they spent all their money on the virtual reality, they did not spend any money on their practical effects. The chimp in is in a cage, and you have to picture this. He's in a cage. He's got a little, <laughs> little silver helmet on. I'm looking oh, at God. it right now. It's not a silver helmet. They've taken the helmet from Robocop and just made it their own. But there's, there's, there's these little in, insert shots of his hands, and it's clearly a man with some gorilla gloves on, just, just oh, holding brilliant. the bars. Honestly, I am, I'm laughing my head off in, straight away. So I'm going to give this film all the credit in the world. The first two minutes, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm loving this. I'm enjoying this. This is great. <laughs> the chimp in a gyro. Yeah. And then, yeah. then you've got a chimp in a gyro. <laughs> Honestly, you couldn't write it. He's just literally being turned around in this gyro. And I, I'm hoping that that was just a chimp suit and not an actual chimp. But Jesus Christ, what were they thinking? If, I, if I'll give Brett Leonard uh, and the filmmakers some credit, though, right? So you pay your money to go and see Lawnmower Man in 1992. But what you want to see are the special effects. They're the big selling point. And let's give them credit. They've given you it straight away. Like within a minute, there is um, images of the chimp in the, the gyro playing basically a first-person shoot, first shooter. And he's there killing yeah. uh, killing what he perceives as threats. And that's, that's all part of this mm-hmm. nefarious plan from this shadowy organization is that they want to, I guess, create a super soldier. Uh, originally, that's what I was thinking. I'm so disappointed they didn't want to create an army of chimpanzee super soldiers. It's <laughs> really, <fucked up. laughs> really annoying. Maybe they uh, did. Oh, yeah, maybe yeah. they did. Maybe they maybe they uh, created a bunch of an army of chimps, Planet of the Apes style, against the um, army of Velociraptors in the Jurassic World series where they tried to militarize them. <laughs> this whole conceit is ridiculous. Why do they keep doing this? But the game, the game is cool that the chimp's playing, right? It, it kind of, like you said, ca- catch your audience straight away. It's, I think Doom was quite big uh, at the a time. Year, uh, actually, a year um, later. So again, I'll give them some credit that they actually had right, the foresight okay. to think first-person yeah. shooters. So yeah, yeah. But yeah. you're right, Doom, Wolfenstein, those first-person yeah, shooters was it, were Was it maybe post-Wolfenstein? Yeah. No, no, it's like pre. Movie, it's pre. Really? Oh my god! And th- yeah, yeah. Wow. Honestly, yeah. So they clearly were men in the know. But one of the other, th- one of the other shots that is ridiculous is they clearly couldn't get the chimp to walk around. So what they did, <laughs> what they did is they they created oh. a chimp top of the head. Yeah. <laughs> placed it, placed it just under the uh, the camera, and then. I think he's on a skateboard or something. <laughs> they are just skating around these uh, these tunnels. As so the chip, by the way, so okay, I forgot, I'm getting into it too too quickly. So the chimp's escaped, and he's got his RoboCop helmet on. He's got like mm. infrared vision. It, there's like it a mixture predator, of Predator. Yeah, he's yeah. got like Predator, RoboCop, Terminator. I, I was half expecting, you know, fuck you, asshole, as a sort of uh, a dialogue tree to come up, <laughs> but he is skating around this facility which is a deep deep blue i think it looks quite cool uh but oh my god how ridiculous is this chimp that is just skating around <laughs> but to get a thing to get the ball rolling it does kind of uh tell a story because then the chimp's lost the hold on reality and what's uh and what's not real takes the gun from the security guard's belt 
and then shoots him in the head. I'm glad you are just like Dr. Angelo, Patrick, and that you can make the connection between <laughs> Chimp and Job uh, because it's... Why do, Why is this chimp seal in there? Like, I would have just cut this out. Oh, because, because it's amazing. It sets a tone for everything that's coming. Because it is stu- it's so stupid, but they are taking it so seriously. But you're right. They are taking it seriously. The music, you know, the way that the, 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 the guard dies, it's in slow-mo. It's supposed to be like, oh, my God, that chimp just killed that man. Uh, in, the, <laughs> in the director's cut, the chimp has more to do. The director's cut is like two hours and 20 minutes long. This film does not need to be two hours and 20 minutes long. So they cut half an hour out and the chimp is one of them. So the way the chimp actually escapes the facility and then goes into the town and Job looks after the chimp and kind of protects him as the guards uh, ambush his, his little barn. Does that sound better? Yeah, way better. I mean, for one thing, because there's more chimp. And I want more chimp in every film. But but again, again though, that shot from behind the the chimp is, it, it's a, it's a gaming angle, yeah. isn't it? It's the first person gaming angle. They, they, they're onto something in the, well, the may as well do it the first five minutes if not the rest of the film, but to tie it into the gaming kind of influence. What we then cut to is Dr. Angelo is lying in bed, and I guess we're supposed to think, is it all a dream? And then. Yeah. His phone rings. Your chimp's dead. It's the phone call none <laughs> of us want to receive. Oh, he also, he also takes a takes a second uh, while while his wife kicks him out of bed for smoking to just watch some uh, uh, spousal abuse next door, where you overhear the, um, the 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 bad guy next door neighbor. I assume beating everyone, and it it includes the. Um, my favorite stock sound effect of a vase breaking. And, uh, if you can line that MPEG up, Gally, in the edit, that would be amazing. Larry, what are you doing? Answer the phone. Yeah, hello. Yeah, yeah. he gets called back in. He has this big argument with his handler, Tim's. Talk about juxtaposition. So we've been in this science chimp killing film, and then, boom, we are in suburbia. We're in Stephen King's suburbia. Where where do you think this is set? That is the question. Because I think, I mean, it looks like it's California just by the looks of it, but lots of the the little bits of setting, like the, I don't know, the, the gas station and the church and some of the characters and some of the, the, the other locations look like that kind of Stephen King-esque. Oh, it feels like Maine. Maine. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's, it's a hodgepodge, isn't it? It really doesn't yeah. actually marry up very well. And we're introduced to Job, played by Jeff Fahey. You can see that he's immediately some sort of archetype of someone with learning difficulties or a younger brain than what his body is. And I, he's such an odd character to look at. It's almost farcical, isn't it? It's like something out of a Farrelly Brothers film. He looks well. Like he looks like Har- Harry Dunn, Harry Dunn, and Simple Jack from Tropic Thunder. Yeah, it's the blueprint. It's the dungarees. The dungarees. He, he only changes his primary <laughs> coloured t-shirts. He keeps the same dungarees. And it's like the one strap dungarees. Just you know, like because he's got a child's mind. It. It's a really cheap ploy, isn't it? This happened a bit in the 90s because there was a few actors that went down this route after... I'm not Listen, I'm not saying Jeff Faye was trying to get an, an Oscar because uh, no chance. But after <laughs> Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, 
You've got Robin Williams did it in Jack when he's playing a kid. Yeah. As an Jack was my next yeah. point. Um, I don't know if you remember this film. It's not like he's playing uh, a child, but Harrison Ford was in a film where he gets in a car accident and then loses his um, loses his memory. Oh, I yeah. think it's something like uh, Forgetting Henry or something like that. And every time they do it, you are just like, oh, God, no, 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 no. Because Dustin Hoffman did such yeah. a good job. You know, this was something that actors could get into. Don't forget what Kate Winslet said in extras, like Daniel Day-Lewis, while well, a foot disabled. Oscars coming out their ass. Seriously, think about it. Daniel Day-Lewis in my left foot. Oscar. Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man, Oscar. John Mills, Ryan's daughter, Oscar. Yeah. Seriously. You are guaranteed an Oscar if you play a mentor. <laughs> a Tropic Thunder mate, do make that joke as well with Simple Jack. Don't never go, what is it? Oh God, never go full retard. <laughs> Is I kind of thought they were they were doing a, a Wizard of Oz thing like the Scarecrow, you know, with the dungarees. That was uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching. Yeah, maybe with the yeah with the yeah. the hair all kind of spiked up like that. Yeah, but but the dungarees at the time, what's it going to remind you of? And the only thing I can really think of is Chucky. And what an odd costume choice, really. I I don't see the Scarecrow. Sorry. Well, if you go in Chucky, but, what does he become later on? Well, yeah, that, that's why. I wonder if that's part of that reference there. Played by Jeff Fahey. Did you guys know him from anything other than this film? I recognised him because his his eyes are quite catching, aren't they? They're quite bright and piercing. And I recognised him. And when I looked him up, he's in Lost. And I remember him from Lost. I knew him from Darkman 3. Darkman 3. Oh, that classic, yeah. You're right, though, Patrick. He's got very piercing eyes. And I I definitely think that's why they cast him. He's like a Disney animated character when he's playing Job. And then when he goes into Killer Job, Brett Leonard uses uh, that one blue piercing feature to the best of Jeff Fahey's ability, which I'm going to argue ain't much. Oh, I think that's hard. Really? Come on, Devlin. You can't be serious. I know you're a big, big fan of the B-movie stars, but this guy's terrible i don't i'm gonna go with devlin this time it's not terrible i just it's a it's not no an easy part is it he gets gets given very 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 little to to work with that's that's particularly grounded so um there are moments oh and the dialogues there there are moments where he, he like little tiny like the first time he agrees to go into um uh dr angelo's house and do the the games with him when uh dr angelo is like do you like to come into my creepy basement where i have wonderful games (laughs) he's got the best games (laughs) um immediately uh instead of just uh like waiting he, he just stands up and he's ready to go like little little tiny little moments like that where he reacts quite realistically as as I mean, there he's playing like a child, and then uh, he, yeah, he portrays the um, the growing confidence. Later, there are some moments which are quite nice when he sort of is realizing that he's changing. I don't mind it when he gets angry at the people as well. When he stands up for himself against the priest and against the um, Jake uh, petrol, pe- Jake, thank you, the petrol yeah. station bully. I, I think I think um, you know rises to the angry challenge quite well. I, I would say check him out in uh, in Psycho Three, if you want a a quality fight performance. Okay, he plays like a proper filthy scumbag. 
for me to say he doesn't work in this film for me. But hey ho, maybe it's the hair. <laughs> I think it's the peroxide it doesn't hair. Doesn't always work. But... but anyway, so these early scenes, there's some. We're we're kind of rattling through suburbia, and this is where there is definitely some King influence because we get the church and we get the Irish stereotype Terry. Um, and then we have Jake, <laughs> uh, who is the sort of bully. And did any of you think, thinking about what happens later on in the film, Jake is smoking in this in this gas station, yeah. and Job, as a child, as like in his child's mind, says, "You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that." I was like, "100 percent. That's how he's going to go out." Then, yeah, he's going to like blow him up in the in the gas station. They never did it. It's... Why? Why would they do yeah. that? Even even with the sprawling petrol pump. Yeah, he, he uses why, the, why the petrol pumps to, was... to punch him in the face and then tie him to a... Do you think they were going to set him on fire and they couldn't afford it? Yeah, but surely, if they're going to do the CGI ending to uh, Jake, they can afford it, surely. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to pay spend all that money on the visual effect. Why not do the special effect? Uh, but Patrick, some of the practical effects later on... They they show their cheapness. Yeah, we've already talked about chimpanzees. You just need to blow up a petrol station it's when they're trying to blow up that building at the end. It it does not look particularly. Oh, it's a it's a it's a bad miniature. <laughs> it's a, it looks like something that we knocked up <laughs> cardboard. Are we, we going to go that far forward into the film? Because I I could not figure out what happened to Jake anyway. I made the assumption yeah. with his mouth wide open that he'd he'd basically turned him into. The, what Job was with the mental age of a six-year-old. That's what I thought. That would have made sense, but there was no payoff whatsoever. No, none whatsoever. He's not like sitting in a nappy or anything. It just doesn't make any sense. It, it felt so unsatisfying. But how, though? Because we see his brain with a digital lawnmower man, yeah. which would suggest a digital form in his brain. But we've established he's got telekinesis. So... That doesn't work. He's telepathic as well, isn't he? So he's got the ability to yeah, he can read uh, understand what people read minds. And then there's the scenes later on with Pierce, who bless him, he's like, "You're trying to get in. You're trying to get in." He makes a guy shoot himself later as well. After yes, he does. Yeah. The way I read it, though, the way I read it is, is somehow he'd put like a computer virus into his brain. That's okay, fair it. enough. I, I saw it as he just chopped his brain down and made him a child. I tell you what, it, it, we can all agree with. It's terribly unsatisfying. They've they forgot to 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 finish that plot. <laughs> so once we come out the um, out the gas station, we're gonna have to do a shout out for probably. I, I didn't like Jeff Fahey, but I really didn't like Dean Norris. He needs to be called out for the worst performance in the film. Know him from Breaking Bad. <laughs> I know him more from Total Recall, of course. And what the hell is he doing in this film? He's like the director of the VSI. He, if they gave him a moustache, he'd be twirling it. What, what is going on? Project 5 is very impressive. Mr. Director, without Angela, there is no Project 5. Well, he'll be back. One way or another. I thought he was trying to do a British accent yeah. as well, which is bizarre at the beginning. I mean, it's nefarious. He, you know that they're dastardly. <laughs> But this is like it's, hamming it's not, it up um, to the max. Is he trying to do a George Orwell Big oh, Brother? Yeah, type, definitely with like the on the, being constantly projected on a big screen for no good reason. Couldn't understand what he was doing, and unless he didn't receive any direction whatsoever, and was just like spitballing it. It could, could well be. It's just not like anything else he's ever done as well. So Doctor Angelo, he's jacked in. 
to the VR, and he's falling, floating, and flying, <laughs> and uh, and groaning. That's the one bit that he didn't mention. What, what next? Fucking yes, indeed. So, did you notice that that's his wife and not a girlfriend? She's got a little. Yeah. Uh, she's got a wedding band on. Yeah. So they just cut her character completely out of the film. Yeah. Uh, she's in the whole film in the director's cut which is why she's so pissy in this beginning, because we are setting her up to definitely get killed. But nope, in the theatrical cut, she couldn't get, you know, Pierce didn't take her to town, so... To the city. Uh, to the city, of course, yes. So I'm Big difference you. there, mate. She's been okay, to town. Yes. Sorry. That's... Town's boring. Yeah, she's in the... <laughs> he took her to town. She was happy with that. Yeah. But now she wants the upgrade. We haven't really talked about Pierce uh, and his performance in this film, but my God, testament to Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. You know, I had... I, I never thought he was as good an actor as I did until I saw him in this film. Because anybody, <laughs> anybody who can deliver these lines and be groaning and lying down, gestating and get away with it, and then get cast as James Bond, credit to you, sir. He's got such a weird jaw as Pierce when he's like in anger. Have you ever noticed that like, there was a Bond film that I first noticed it, but sometimes when he gets in pain, he puts out his bottom jaw and his teeth come out and he's like, ah! <laughs> he's always doing it. But some of the lines are great, aren't they? Oh God. I mean, we'll get into it as we, as we go through the plot, but fuck me, this dialogue. Wow. I can't fly to fucking Washington tomorrow. <laughs> we placed swearing all the way through it. So we'll 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 highlight Pierce's uh, wonderful line delivery as we go through. Job meets uh, the kid from the last action hero, so we do get to see the lawnmower man cutting yeah. some lawn. That's what the audience paid for. Did you did you did you um, his, uh, his surname? His character's surname is uh, Peter Parkett. Oh, That's exactly the reaction I was hoping for. <laughs> the names yeah. as well. I mean, Job Smith. I get it. Yeah, he's a beat upon character who. Could be anybody. If you didn't get it, though, uh, later the priest is going to walk to his little shack while saying, uh, "Put it, bringing the wrath of the Lord down upon yourself, just like his namesake. What what I am going to say about these early scenes is there's some decent, I say decent, there's some serviceable setup, right? We're Job... He's like, yeah. he's, like a be- he's like a beaten dog. So we're all automatically sympathetic to his cause. Dr. Angelo, now, if it wasn't Piers Brosnan, I think I wouldn't oh, yeah, like absolutely. him. I don't really understand why he is supposed to be our protagonist, because he's, his like motives are pretty questionable. I get the Frankenstein reference. The scientist who's got aspirations, and he was getting somewhere with the best <laughs> chimp he ever had, and that's gone, so it's been shelved. And now he recognises he's got a chance that it's on his, literally on his own lawn, and with... Uh, Job, who has not an adult mind, so it can be moulded, and he recognises that. So, what is it? He goes over. I have a game in my house. You might like to play, <laughs> which Brilliant, is a creepy yeah. line as well. <laughs> but when Strange do we... danger, anyone? Job, do you like to play games? Yeah. Peter says you have the best games. Well, I have a game in my house that you might like to play. Would you like that? And what I will say is, I think this is probably the best VR sequence in the whole film. The the race through the, the flight one. Yeah, I actually think it's quite... wipeout. Thought it was really cool, and I definitely know as a teenager that I wanted to play this game. Yeah, and they re- they released versions of this type of game, uh, actually on like the 
Sega CD and uh, I think Nintendo had a version as well. So um, it was popular. And what do we have nowadays? We have Ready Player One, which is just the upgrade from it, isn't it, really? Is this where Dr. Angelo makes his proposition? Does he inject him with the vitamins? Well, or he, like that? he gives him the the games, doesn't he? With the, with the mouse, to he has to match up the Yeah, it's, the almost like a, it's almost like a psychometric test almost, isn't yeah. it? So he does that, and then the proposal comes yeah. shortly after that. What does he? What does he say to Job? Does he say, "Do you want to be smarter?" Is that is that the line? Is that the cell? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is where we're supposed to be thinking that actually Pierce has has not got any uh, sort of sinister motives. He is trying to help him. I have other different games. I even have one that could help make you smarter. I was born dumb. But you would like to be smarter, wouldn't you? Yeah, like his characterization is is kind of bizarre because he's he's never confronted with like his own hubris. It's like the because later everything that terrible that happens is because they uh, they switch out the formula to the bad red formula. It's it's like it's no longer his fault, which while it. Yeah, which while it keeps him being audience sympathetic, it robs him of anything approaching an interesting character arc. But but later on though, like um, Brosnan, he, he is empathetic because he he does care for Job and he he doesn't want to hurt him. So when it's going wrong, he is kind of tending to him and making sure it's okay. Uh, he is, but even uh, there's a moment later on in the film when Job has uh, like a real uh, sort of brain fit. And he says, "Oh, he should have died. I'm going to cease, uh, going to cease doing any more tests until we investigate this further." But he doesn't seem to be terribly strong on that. And then, really, you said it before, Devlin, about we rob him of that kind of moment for him to realise, you know, what this was all my fault. The, yeah, the, okay. the, the, the filmmakers know that it could be questionable whether we're following Pierce, so we'll just give him a surrogate family <laughs> at the end. So then you know yeah. this is our good guy. It's it's <laughs> it's pretty egregious uh, to say the least. I'm ashamed to say it that this is the first sci-fi, technically sci-fi film that we've reviewed on the podcast. But so I I wanted to know what was making Job smarter. So when we get in all these strobe yeah. effects in his eyes and he's seeing all these uh, symbols, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and we got peers sort of touching his brain was it like a version of clockwork orange where it was like a version treatment like, was no, that I what they it, were linking i read it more like the matrix like they were uploading files yeah. into his brain okay um, no no that makes sense all of the the symbols that they that they kind of throw at him there's lots of concentric circles and triangles and um they kind of look like runes like like runic <laughs> symbols and later on when um yeah. when joe becomes a super smart villain he says that his powers these powers that he's developing, they're not new. They're tapping into something ancient that we forgot. Something oh, from, yes, yes. you know, from yeah. the, the the alchemists in, in centuries past and stuff. So um, that's, to me, just ended up being sort of more confirmation that they didn't really know or care what to do with actual virtual reality as the, virtual reality is just like the conduit through which just old-fashioned, inexplicable mm-hmm. magic was happening we're back in uh, halloween exactly. three season of witch territory but, a i mean bit, aren't we? it never really leaves my brain which yeah. is probably why that's my reading on it oh well we have one other character to introduce in these early scenes uh the lovely seductress which is lovely 
Miss Marnie yeah. Burke. I can't uh, believe that's how you've introduced her. Well, I wish I had neighbors like this, Patrick. Oh, this is the worst. This is straight out yeah. of a porno, right? I mean, <sighs> this is ridiculous. And you know what? You know what's even more telling is that I kind of thought, and again, I was a teenage boy, so please forgive. This had a Red Shoe Diaries vibe about yeah. it. Like the the focus was soft, the lighting was soft. She, well, her clothes as well. She's a, she's another one who gets a mid drift out. It's the nineties. You had to have some sex in there, didn't you? If it wasn't cyber sex, cyber sex isn't showing anything, so they need to show some physical sex. And that's what it would have been. It would have been a selling point as well. Yeah. As the it, it Listen, it got my rocks off back in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about this, don't they? That um you know, there's all these like unofficial mandates that come down in, in certain studios and especially like New Line would have been considered one of the mini major studios, maybe not so much in this day, but mm-hmm. you know, certainly um, it's a Hollywood studio, but the, a Hollywood studio that has to sort of get by on what at the time at least was seen as the lesser sort of genre fare. So yeah, the rule is if, if you're going to make a sci-fi or a horror film, yeah, you need to have at least two scenes with uh, at least yeah. partial nudity. It's a bit Ned Flanders, though, isn't it, with Joe? Uh, he gets his top off. <laughs> Ned Flanders! And he's all of a sudden ripped. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> uh, explain this to me. Where's the correlation that when you get smarter, you get ripped? No, I, don't, I think he was just ripped anyway, surely. That lawn mowing just keeps you yeah. fit, man. Yeah, it's really heavy. <laughs> Big Red is a heavy mower. For those of you trying to lose weight in January, just get your, get, get on the grass and get lawn mowing. Not like Forrest Gump. <laughs> Do it when you're walking. That's what does it. There's, there's quite a lot of drinking in this film, yeah. isn't there? Like, Pierce is on the whiskey. The I- Irish, in inverted commas, uh, uh, Gardner, he's on the booze when he goes up to the house. He's got the bottle in his yeah. back pocket. The dad is drinking. Yeah. Is this Stephen King's suburbia again? Well, he was a, he's a known alcoholic in his in his day and loved the drugs too. So yeah. I guess there's a little bit of Stephen King staple in there. Certainly the dad, the dickhead dad yeah. is straight out of king and he he couldn't yeah. be more stereotypical like well the irish guy is the most stereotypical in the film i think and maybe him drinking made him say the line when, when job's lawn mowing he goes you can hear the pan pipes of the little people in the grass there that <laughs> 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 one passed me by oh the line is insane it's so funny it's so innocuous uh, as well but the accent is hilarious okay quick question worst irish accent oh, in question. cinema sean connery oh yeah connery's a good one because <laughs> connery is also the worst russian and the worst spaniard ever committed to film <laughs> connery and untouchables yeah. it's it's that's gotta be um, although what's his name from um halloween three connell cochran as well yeah um, connell cochran <laughs> The children. I was going to say Tom Cruise, far and away. Oh, wow. Really throwing a lot at it, and not a lot of it is sticking. Well, you know what, Devlin? Even though um, it's not quite cinema, Columbo is just as good. I'm going to go for Joe Devlin in uh, The Conspirators episode from 1978 in Columbo. So there you go. Where we're at in the story now is we pretty much get like a. We're kind of rushed. Rush through. We're about thirty-five minutes in, and his appearance begins to change. And I guess this is a good way of visually showing that yeah. his age is increasing. And he's mentally. getting a taste for clothes and a look, isn't he? He likes the cowboy. Yeah, look. he's become more self-aware yeah. and he's self-conscious I, I about like his look. I, I I like the scene when he's sitting um in the in his little shack 
and uh, idolizing a photograph of a cowboy. I think that's really. I don't know. I think it's kind of silly in a in a good way. But it but it kind of it's quite yeah. believable, isn't it? You you would think he'd do that. I got um I saw it as like the evolution of Toy Story. You know, you <laughs> go from Woody as the cowboy, and then by the end of the film, Job's like Buzz Lightyear. That's how I saw <laughs> okay. it. A little bit homoerotic, maybe. But, well, homoerotic comes when I'll be back at the petrol station shortly, and she looks in her rearview mirror, and it's just his ass yeah. bending over the car in the jeans. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Patrick, you and I have both uh, both worked at Levi's in we our have. in our younger years. Is he wearing five hundred ones there? Was, yeah. I mean, they're pretty tight. I'm pretty sure he was. They they look yeah. Levi's to me. He must work out. He must work out. <laughs> reference. It's a reference. Job and Jake have a fight at the oh, gas yeah, station. Right. He gets punched in the face, but then he just sort of stares at him. But again, it's the eyes, isn't it? It's the eyes that do the work, but not before but she's they, had a, a little. They are, they are again playing to the cheap seats. Wow. Well, you've certainly changed. I don't know how you did it, but I approve. Miss Burke, I filled her up with trans fluid. No charge. Thanks, Jake. You're welcome. Well, I'm looking forward to having my lawn mowed soon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really like the uh, the Irish guy's follow-up, which is, you know, oh, whores, do it for money. She's young. She does it because she likes it. It's very, uh, it's very progressive <laughs> and very positive. Is he then lawn mowing topless yeah. in the next scene? Well, you know what's funny, though, Patrick, before we get before you mentioned that scene, is that there's a there's a bit with Dr. Angelo and Job and. Oh yeah, yeah. Job yeah. says, Job says, I think people are noticing yes. that I'm changing. And Dr. Angelo just says, don't worry. Just don't draw attention to yourself. <laughs> next, next shot. Job has got no top, yeah. six pack, lawn mowing, hair slicked back. <laughs> I thought he was supposed to be getting smarter. Brilliant. God, again, a stereotype, painful. Just writing. She comes to the balcony, and do you want to come up for yeah. some lemonade? <sighs> and she's God. wearing a sexy lingerie. And I, not. Sp- yeah, of course he does. But it cuts to the Irish gardener and he's like, holy <laughs> Mary, mother of God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he says like, holy Mary, Joseph and Jesus. I can't remember. Oh, it's so funny. It's so hot today, Joe. Why don't you come up for a cold glass of lemonade? Lord Jesus, mother of God, would you look at that? Joe, go on, you adult, go on. And so he goes up and then we get our first sex scene, don't we? Yeah, we do. And and just one one other point of progression for Job. This is the first time that he's starting to develop what we think is telepathic powers because he we can hear oh, in yeah, the yeah. Uh, in the sound design there's some it's almost not white noise but almost like traffic and noise. And there's echoes of her saying lemonade before she actually says it. That's it. Yes. It's, uh, it's it's the first scene after he goes for his first treatment of at the VSI. So he gets in the um, yes in the the gyroscope for the first time. So. And then Brosnan mm-hmm. is firing oh, wow. coloured wobbles at his brain. But you're right; it's the first sex scene, and he's never had sex before. So he's gone from toddler. Yeah, he's gone from toddler to preteen, like pubescent. To he's he's about to you broke your cherry <laughs> <laughs> reference. He just cow tongs the hell out of it and we are back into tom atkins halloween three season of witch territory excellent the, the sex yep. the sex seems weird though because she seems to be the one that's doing the thrusting yep. and job's just kind of got this gaunt look on his face 
She's almost like side saddling <laughs> him as well. It's kind of a weird angle. It's, it's, really, it's a little bit like Tell Me Why So in, in, in the room. So you, are you sure you're not aiming at belly button there? No, it's fine. Literally, if you've ever seen Brass Eyes, uh, Peter Gadden episode, uh, Kate Thornton <laughs> talks about it, how um, this whole like worry that Generation X had about technology and online and games and the digital world. And she says, for God's sake, people, a child in Canada has gone completely 2D and no one is doing anything about it. And that's kind of what happens to Job. He's starting to blur into the digital realm, I guess. Is that what they're suggesting? At, at this point, yeah, well, he's, he started to, to read minds and that's when the um, Dean Norris says that he wants to switch it back out for the, for the bad drugs and... Um, yeah, the, yeah. The Job's transition, like you say, to transition from kind of childhood, at least in his brain, to adulthood is quite quick. And then from from there on, we we race all the way through to the uh, uh, his next treatment is is when he has his bad brain wobble, and then uh, he says that he touched God. I mean, just before that, didn't he renounce comic books? You know, just a, a, another symbol that he's outgrowing peter and we mentioned pierce in the film one of the great lines he's got is uh and i wrote this one down verbatim because i love it he absorbed the latin language in less than two hours it took me a year to learn the alphabet <laughs> that seems extremely you... slow <laughs> I'm... it seems like dr angela you need to get off your ass like the alphabet took you a year it's pretty much the same. There's another four or five letters or something. I don't think Dr. Angelo is very good. And then uh, Job is at the neighbor's house and he, he's controlling his telekinesis better. And uh, that's when he's late. He, he's uh, lounging on her couch, watching that commercial for a phone line where you call up and eavesdrop perfect strangers admitting oh, yeah. their darkest secrets. Uh, that is very confusing as a concept confessions eavesdrop on real people telling their innermost secrets darkest desire i saw this woman today i couldn't help myself one nine hundred four two oh nine oh but then from there do we go to cyber sex so th this is the big scene right this is this is a big selling point for the film yeah you've got special effects and you've got titillation what is there not to like there's a <laughs> well, lot not to like about it <laughs> here's a question though just plot wise how did he get into the yeah laboratory i guess he's been going so many times yeah i did wonder that or, or is he now Saying to them, let me in, you know, like a Jedi. Oh, mind control. Oh, yeah, you could say that. I mean, they don't show it. It's one of the other big problems they have is that the internal logic of the film is never really established to any to any kind of reasonable level. So you don't really know what... You see him develop telekinesis first, and then you see him kind of... Well, at this point, has yeah. he squeezed the toothpaste out? Yeah, we've, we, he's gone carry. He can now yeah. do stuff with his mind. As far as we are aware, as an audience, he cannot like control minds or anything. That's late. So, Devlin, you seem to have a problem um, with the visuals. Well, I mean, are you not getting the the symbolic nature of them? Uh, one thing he says in the previous scene is, "I can read your mind, and I know all your dirtiest secrets, or whatever." I guess that's why they're watching that bizarre advert, mm -hmm. so that he can get that. Concept. Apparently, he reads in her mind that um, she wants to have silver boobs, and then to be wrapped yep. <laughs> up in a kind of two-headed dragonfly of sex. Um, 
uh, dragonfly sex is actually uh, terribly painful yeah. for the female. The male uses his uh, pincers on her head. Okay. So it's a terrible metaphor. He then goes into the subconscious, doesn't he? That's what he says. Because mm. all of it... What does she get trapped in this wedding? Well, it was, it's jizz, Patrick. Cyber jizz. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> it's not, though, is it? Because he does say... We're in the subconscious it's, it's, now. Yeah, it's like it's the subconscious. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you may you may well be right, Kelly. Well, when he turns into sort of a vagina monster and then starts firing stuff, I I want to know this: Is he trying to make us smarter, or is this like sinister? Because he does flip slightly. He does say, "Oh, I yeah. know, I know what you want," and you're kind of like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" Uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's some sort of bondage type thing. Um... I think he's pushing her limits, and it's a little sinister. That's how I read it. Yeah, because someone's got to, you know, these artists have got to render this, so the director clearly had a vision and mm. on what it would mean. <laughs> I couldn't work it out, but I was trying. A chrome mega frog. It's sadomasochism, isn't red, it? It's got to be. Red nets at her. But the thing is about it is you could read into it that it it's all to do with a mind-blowing experience because it literally blows her mind and whether that is through an experience she's never had before a sexual experience she's never had before an orgasm she's never had before i, I think it's all quite vague so it's a consequence that, that we know could happen oh yeah from a narrative point of view it gives you the again the warnings have been there and this is another yeah. one uh, and this is a warning as well of job's power it gives him a motivation to to, to start, you know, lashing out at the world as well, and especially at, at, at Dr. Angelo, because he did this to him. Narratively, it's 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 solid. At this point in the story, it's a solid thing to have happen. It's just that in execution, it is just so weird. Dr. Angelo is off to Washington, and then Job... Is this where Job goes off and starts injecting himself with the red yeah, stuff? Yeah, there's a... Uh, there's a um, there's a bit of a, a gap. So they are together. This is where Job shows him that he can lift up a chair. Oh, yes. I remember. Yeah. Yes. And the bald guy sees it. And then they end up in Washington and, and they go to Dean Norris's office, which again is just really weird because Dean Norris is sat behind his desk, like actively not listening to them and talking on the phone and talking to other people all the way through the presentation. Well, he even does, um, he even does the thing that Christopher Waltz does in Spectre where he gets someone he tells someone something to then tell Dr. Angelo. It's like, why are you, what you, what's that about? What are you doing? I, I when he guess, just says, we yeah. want to know about, you know, how the effects of the formula has been. Formula and that's five, when because they've switched it back to formula five. This is when he finds out that they've been using the, um, the red stuff and... instead of the blue yeah. stuff. Cause Dr. Angelo bless him is colorblind. I mean, how wouldn't he yeah. notice? What an <laughs> affliction. One of the questions I had was of, I guess, motives. So VSI want to create this soldier thing, or they want to create some form, but they want to see how far they can push it. And I think Dean Norris even mentions later on when he sees what Job can do, that he can develop this into an energy weapon. Pierce is working with them because he wants to use it as an educational tool. Yeah. And what I can't understand is that those two ideas never really mesh for me. Because say Pierce's idea is fully funded and it doesn't create psycho cyberman they create a smarter soldier well that inherently is incorrect because we don't want our soldiers to be smarter we don't want them to be thinking we want them to be doing we want them to just do it without question 
I, 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 I'm maybe just thinking about this too deeply, but it just seemed, again, like you said, Devlin, a hodgepodge of ideas that didn't really yeah. make any sense. And they just kind of structured a narrative that yeah. kind of got you from A to B with limited questions after. and you're pulling stuff off the peg so like when you when you're going around trying to sort of cobble together a narrative quite quickly if you've got anything to do with like research uh, and especially you know advanced research then you do need to have either bad corporate scumbag who just wants profit or more often than not the bad military scumbag who just wants profit and war that's usually your ideal villain there's there's no kind of thought been been put into if there are any practical applications of this yeah if we could even have a a discourse about it like you know what yeah. which side would we fall on actually dr angelo maybe the military has got a point but there isn't they're just they're the big bad guys and he's for some reason lauded as some sort of ethical scientist even though pretty much everything he does is unethical definitely knew that that his favorite chimp was skulking around doing a murder game he definitely knew that <laughs> the thing is as well though with that with that chimp that robocop headset where the fuck did that come from we don't see that technology or in anywhere else in the film so at this point dr angelo's in washington and then we are in slasher territory right the film really yeah. does i mean we've it's already terrible. got our hints of carrie but this is where we get some kills, and it's pretty episodic. Like, there is no connective tissue. There's just, Job is now going to enact his revenge. Yeah. He kills the we priest do. first. Can we, can we talk about the priest's death? Oh, yes, please. It's, it's building itself up to be like a fun, stupid, over-the-top sequence. You know, there's you've got the it's in the church. The church lights are crazy. There's a there's like lights being put through all of the stained glass windows. So you've got all this crazy atmosphere in it. And you've got Job yeah. sitting in the the upper gantry, looking down, and the 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 score is all you know heavy with organs and stuff. And you think, yes, this is like ridiculous. And then the payoff is the worst flame effect since you guys ever see the. Um, Unbelievable. The Roger Corman uh, Fantastic Four, the one that should never have been released. Yes, I've seen it, yeah. So you know there's uh, the, the, the Human Torch in that? It's yep. a very similar effect, isn't it? It's the same thing. Like It bears no correlation to how humans or fire look. And can it's I, such it a I mean, like, I can get that with Fantastic Four because it's quite a hard thing to do, someone yeah. not dying through fire. Yeah. But with this, you just put a man on fire, a stuntman. I'm going to defend the film here. I think this is supposed to be digitised fire, but in the real world, and it's the meshing of the two. That's how I took it. Did okay. you think it was supposed to be real fire? Because I with you. I think if it was supposed to be real fire, they just get a stuntman and they just set I him up. I didn't really think about that because... Because oh, even Samurai Cop did that, handle. so they it's cheap to do that. There's no problem We're just so, setting someone uh, up. But it's, you know what, you've got, you've got a point, because later on uh, he brings in like digital bees as well. Yeah, those digital bees look terrible, but if they're supposed to be digital yeah, sprites... I, think, I thought they were real bees. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought they were real bees, and the computer effects were so shit that they just look shit. That's what I thought. No, again, if they wanted to do real bees, they would have done Michael Caine's swarm and just done some close-ups from documentary footage. This is where the film falls apart completely then, because yeah. Brosnan says later on, you've lost you've lost touch with the physical world when he goes into yeah. the digital world. There needs to be a scene where he, where he like earlier he holds his hand out 
and he creates mm -hmm. something that's a digital image and then you have mm -hmm. to see that interact with the real world yes it just needs absolutely. to happen it doesn't have to be like um maybe he makes like a like a thing for peter yeah maybe bring peter back into it and say like look what i did and he makes like a like a, a little animal or something you know what i would have really bought is if he get check this out when his lawnmower is going off through his telekinetic power when he's up in the bedroom and it's just mowing the lawn on its own he should have like had his digital self mowing the lawn that would have been yeah. really fucking weird and wonderful and the kills are so unsatisfying and and mm -hmm. one of the reasons i think that, that is is job's no fun like, this is New Line Cinema. This is the guys who created Freddy. Why on earth is Job just standing there? He needs to He needs to be quipping, or he definitely needs to be taking some sort of pleasure in it. When he kills the the priest, the priest has been a dick to him the whole film. Why isn't he, like, taking any joy from it? He actually looks like he's in pain, as if he's sort of conflicted about it. No, he should be going wholeheartedly in. And I think that's one of the big, big problems with these kills, is the reason why you're getting nothing from them it's not only are they kind of really badly executed, but the character just isn't taking any pleasure in doing it. So should we get to Peter's father's death? Yeah. Probably the best death in it. Yeah, well, because we feature... actually get a lawnmower, yeah? By Tito Santana. Legend of the show, Tito Santana. And I couldn't work out who the other wrestler is that he's fighting. I was very disappointed in myself. It's kind of Looney Tunes, isn't it? The way that the it just kind of rides around the house. It blows through the door. I, I actually had some fun with this one. But again, Joe should be reveling in it too. But he's sort of standing there all stoic. Good, stupid, really fun, practical effect when you see it. Like the, the way the mower is shot and the way it's racing around the house. That's like a good old-fashioned, stupid, late 80s, early 90s, like, yeah. comedy horror scene, pretty much. Does this happen in the original story that Stephen King wrote? Because to me, this felt like the most Stephen King scene. Yeah, yeah quite. Certainly, Stephen King loves uh, inanimate objects fucking people up. One thing I will say, so we're now in horror film territory. Like I said, we've got New Line Cinema. This is a 15, or an R-rated in the US, mm -hmm. And yeah. I don't think this is going to satisfy the bloodhounds. Yeah, I was, was going to say that like, you don't see the dad. You don't see anything happen to him. No, you just see the close-up and it's the... Oh, it's the flying lawnmower to the trees, my, my favourite. It's, that is the, it's the funniest shot. Follow up with like a big blood splatter, you know? Yeah, like anything. Splattering across all the rest. Of the with, with the sound of the lawnmower like chewing up some blood and yeah, cut away would have been good. Yeah, if if you know if that's a budgetary restraint, but yeah, have some fun with the uh, with the foley sound. Exactly. Yeah, I mean you're already an R-rated film, so why don't you just lean heavily into it? You've had the sex, you've got the chimp killer. Why don't you <laughs> give us the gore? It seems like an obvious choice, and they they really do hold back on all these deaths. It's a, yeah. it's a shame. The the um the sex would have got it the R rating, right? I would assume they were shooting for an R rating because you know, unlike like today. They try and force everything back down to a PG-13 in the States, uh, which would be like, mm -hmm. I guess, a 12A here. You know, they, they try and see what they can get away with while keeping that rating down so that the, the teens can go see it. But yeah, back um, certainly if you brought out a horror film and it came out with a PG-13 rating, people would be very suspicious and skeptical of whether it would actually be any good. So yeah, they probably threw some casual nudity and swearing in. To a film which, you know, not this film would not be. I was going to say this film wouldn't be very interesting to teenagers, but then I remembered that we all loved it when we were like 11. So, one of the things that then happens is 
we get another really big kind of car screeching handbrake tonal shift where the police come in and if it wasn't Troy Evans, it might have been Leslie Nielsen. They're like coming in as these foolish, incompetent police. Oh, and they're talking about these murders that have happened. And Chief Wiggum. <laughs> Chief Wiggum, or as I like to call him, Roger Predactor. That's why he's dead. He found Captain Winky. So, yeah, the, the film just completely goes off on a tangent where these cops are attempting, I guess, humor and a yeah. bit of satire. And they essentially just divulge the entire gory details to Dr. Angelo. Like, oh, are you the neighbor? Listen, we'll tell you everything that just happened. Now, the lab boys tell me that somebody chased Parquet through the house with a power lawnmower. I would have thought that would have made some kind of a racket. <laughs> Crazy with the heat. Schizophrenia all over town last night. What else happened last night? Well, somebody torched poor old Father McKean with a... Uh, flamethrower or something. Must have been a, a Satan cult or something. Either that or that weird human spontaneous combustion thing that, you know, that really happens sometimes. Hell of a thing. Hmm. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. excellent, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's gone off the rails. Like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And, uh, and then we see... They don't this. even mention. Like, they meant they, they say uh, um, a Satan Mentioned Set Jake, the priest on fire. Marty's wandering around naked, and yeah, Jake is nowhere, nowhere in estimation. Yeah. I don't know what you think about this. I quite like Job's Tron suit. Yes, it's a bit Tron, old, you know, it's Tron, and unoriginal, but it, it at least tells a certain story where the lights yeah. light up when he's doing some power, and then doesn't he stare at Chief Wiggum, and then Wiggum goes, "Oh, there was murders last night." Stare. Actually, they were accidents. Yeah. <laughs> it's in a, the, the same line of dialogue. The guy behind him is uh, two bizarre murders in one night, and then two bizarre accidents in one night. And, the, and all Job has to do is change their two minds. Everyone else can still carry yep. on. <laughs> it's, so all of a sudden, he's like hugging the the neighbor next door. Well, the first thing he does is say, "Is Peter okay? Is the boy yeah. okay?" That's the yeah. first thing he asks, and then she's all hugs. I will say in the director's cut, there's a couple more scenes where they interact here, Pierce and this lady. But in the director's cut, he's also got a wife. But the women are so badly portrayed in this film. For, at the end, when the stakes are highest and she's got Peter in the car and he says, stay, stay here, be safe. She fucking falls asleep. How, what, why would they then make her a irresponsible mother? I don't. It's horrible writing. It's just so bad oh it's embarrassing there's other ways you can get peter into that laboratory it's fucking ridiculous we're kind of skipping over the uh the the scene where job um uh straps uh larry to a chair and and makes him watch as he uh turns two hired goons into bubbles the reason he has to get them to drive him to the lab is because job has melted his car engine uh borrow their car freshly widowed woman and a grieving son who probably have some very uh, complex feelings about their abusive father slash husband being dead. Uh, he really. asks them to, to give him a lift. Doesn't borrow the keys. This whole like, ending as we rush to, to the climax is just Billy Bonkers. There are deus ex machinas everywhere. When Job tells of his nefarious plan, which is he wants to get into the Neuronet, which I guess is the internet, but in 1992 it wasn't a commercially yeah. sort of people weren't exposed to the internet, it wasn't really a thing. 
uh, but the neuro net was and mainframes and etc so they use some techno babble ties up dr angelo kills the vsi guards who have come to get job and then deus ex machina bombs what the hell were these guards doing with c4 yeah. explosives in their van i think they're more than c4 yeah. they're like they're proper satchel charged i assume they were going to just blow up uh uh dr angelo's house for for reasons get rid of the evidence yeah. i guess makes, makes total sense <laughs> and uh, and from there so job's um job just calls upon peter with his um with his jedi mind yeah. trick so peter comes and uh, oh no, uh, not the uh, the uh, the. Oh Terry, Terry, of course, Terry. Yeah, oh, I'm coming. Right and um, I'm coming right. No, George. oh Jesus Christ, Joseph, Peter, Paul, oh, and uh... Holy Mary, Mother of God. Well, has he like hacked the lab from his no, basement he, um... and put in the security measures against Job, like to counter Job? Now, no, no, right? it's, it's when he gets. It's when he gets there. No, Devlin Patrick's oh. right. He hacks into the mainframe of the uh, facility, and then because one guy calls it out and says, "We're going to lose control in, we're going to lose control in two right. minutes," and it's mm-hmm. just an arbitrary number that means nothing. But then I think that plays into how Job can't escape that mainframe because he's yes. disconnected it from the Neuronet. Uh huh. Complete and utter jargon. Yep. All we need to know is Piers did something. It was on a computer, so it was terribly, <laughs> terribly undramatic. He hacked the internet. But yeah, then we've got the swarm of wasps that take out all the militia. Or militia, mm-hmm. apologies. The soldiers. But not by doing yeah. Soldiers, the security guards. Are they security guards, yeah, Patrick? They... They, they have got, they've got M15 bloody assault rifles. These yeah, guys are, are like well geared up. Right, okay. But yeah, I mean... They are mar- yeah, they are marching. <laughs> but yeah, they, I assume they're the, the private security force for this thing. But um, the bees thing is very strange because the bees just make them run away. There were some like massive ones that yeah. appeared and then they tried to shoot them. <laughs> they did. I think that's because when they did the shooting of just the bees that just look like yellow, they were like, oh, we've got to we've got to render at least one yeah. wasp so we know what they're shooting at. It just looks like oh. creamed corn. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not as terrifying. Oh, and then, and then my favourite my favorite special effect <laughs> in the whole film is coming up. Because he's gone, he's absorbed himself into the mainframe, I'll call it. He's hacked his way in. And then Brosnan comes and finds a... <laughs> You can't laugh uh, before the description. So, <laughs> he comes and finds a deflated <laughs> Job. Oh, man. So, this is this is it absolutely ridiculous. It looks I like, don't understand why they do that. It's mad. Well, he sucked himself in. <laughs> he pulls off what? his helmet and there's just like a mannequin. just like a cheap mannequin's head. It suggests that his internal organs went into the mainframe and his outer layer stayed. It's so... Oh, that's bizarre. This is the moment when I I gave nothing but credit to Pierce Brosnan, and now look at yeah. him as a far more skilled actor. Because when he runs up and grabs that Edgar suit with a paper mache head on it, and sort of <laughs> shakes it and says, "Oh God, he's done it!" I believed him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Brosnan. Brosnan is great. The close-ups of the camera kind of locked on his face while he's flitting around in the gyroscope, hitting at least one of his nostrils completely closed. And yet he is still emoting 
in in just into a what I can only imagine is a completely blacked out helmet. I guess this is all like big battle because yeah. we haven't established the stakes, as far as we're aware. At this point, Job wants to become like oh, yeah. one with all computer systems, but nobody really like he doesn't suggest that he wants to do that because he's got nefarious intent. I'm going to help you, Doctor Angelo. I'm going to help all of you cleanse this diseased planet. This technology has peeled back a layer to reveal another universe. Virtual reality will grow. Just as the telegraph grew to the telephone. As the radio to the TV. It will be everywhere. You're having delusions, Job. Struggle for reason. I'm going back to VSI. To complete the final stage of my evolution. I'm going to project myself into the mainframe computer. I'll become pure energy. Once I've entered the neural net, my birth cry will be the sound of every phone on this planet ringing in unison. Listen to what you say. The first sign of psychosis is a Christ complex. There's no, there's no inherent threat. Like if this guy gets out into the internet, he doesn't actually say what he's going to do when he gets there. Did Did you no, see those no. films recently? There was um, Lucy, yes, Scarlett Johansson, yeah, I saw film. Lucy, and what was the Johnny Depp film as well? Transcendence, Transcendence, an an, an absolute bore. Yeah. Thematically similar endings in yeah. that they want to go or transcend or whatever into the internet, but like we never really. I don't know. I don't feel like the why and the yeah. What was the point of it in a way? Well, this was like '92, right? So um, at this point, like William Gibson had been writing cyberpunk novels for getting on for a decade, and a lot of that stuff is all about um, kind of philosophically inquiring into the the nature of where does man end and machine begin, and and what the interaction between the two is, and how that would would play out. I mean. Even RoboCop's got more to say about that than Lawnmower Man. And RoboCop, at least, you know, it has the decency to also be amazingly entertaining. So I think that's, mm-hmm. that's where this one falls down to towards the end is that it has nothing to say, but it also doesn't get in there and just smush your, uh, your basic pleasure centers of, you know, shit happening on screen to entertain you and distract you from that. In recent years, superhero films have, have always been sort of labelled with, yeah, yeah, really good character stuff, but then at the end, it's just a CGI fight. In this, the CGI fight, which would have been the big selling point, is just so... It's not even a fight, is it? it? Couldn't they have just done, like, a race? Yeah. Like, they had him and Peter, and that's how... I mean, it's... shit, like like Tron, they did that ten years earlier. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't really believe that that room with all those pass cut, I I just don't... Yeah. buy it you know he would have if he was that super smart and able to put himself into the internet he'd get through the system quickly instead of just Surely his mind is now can go through yeah. algorithms at the speed of light and I, I don't know random hexagons come out and he wobble and he, and he yeah. just kind of touch and then it says access denied and yeah it would be better if you know the the terminal port had been turned into a physical destination that they had to fight over towards getting to but yeah pierce brosnan can literally do nothing and uh, Job mm-hmm. turns him into a crucifix. 
Peter turns up and I guess it pulls at Job's heartstrings. It's probably the, um, we didn't really get enough time with Job and Peter, but I suppose he's a kid. You can see, I, I, listen, I don't buy it, but I understand that. I quite like the visuals as well of him going from digital form and it kind of morphs into the fleshy form in, in the oh, when he hears Peter Peter, animated, yeah. when he hears Peter, which, yeah. you know, that, that tells the story perfectly well of his conflicts that eventually comes out. I don't buy that he would have had the conflict because I don't think the relationship's been developed well enough for that. Um, but here, here's the thing, though. When Peter gets locked behind that door and Brosnan, he's already set the bombs, he's set them on a timer, so we've got the, the classic kind of alien countdown, the ship's going to explode. And he's running after him. How the fuck did Peter get locked behind a door <laughs> that Brosnan can now not go through, but he's... What the hell? And then Job opens it from the digital world, but Brosnan said not two minutes before that, you've lost touch yeah, with the physical world. And then, come on. I'd have bought it more if a, if a chimp came out of nowhere and opened the door for them. <laughs> Roscoe. <laughs> Roscoe came out of nowhere. Roscoe would be the best damn chimp I ever had. So <laughs> he knew it was the only way out of the experiments. Facility blows up. And again, they even, Brett Leonard even drops the ball with the did he, did yeah, he yeah. survive? Because we see him escape. Yeah, fully. And fully escape as well. Not, not even like the uh, millions of pieces of him going up yeah. are stopped halfway. What little suspense there could have been with did Job escape? No, we saw it. So the ending, which is, you know, Dr. Angelo, he's just got himself his new family. Mm-hmm. That's good. And <laughs> he's, he's leaving, leaving his basement. Uh, and Job did drop a line, didn't he, about people will hear my cry it'll, in every... Hear my birth. Every, every telephone will ring is at it, once. And that's when, that's when that will be my, my rebirth. That's it, rebirth, uh, yeah. I, I thought that was a bit Stephen King, that kind of ending that you know, what was essentially the bad guy winning. But Devlin, I'm guessing, well, obviously it's not in mm-hmm. the book, so it won't be any of Stephen King's involvement. In no, that, no, I, I think it's from, yeah, nothing, definitely nothing to do with the weird naked guy eating grass clippings. I'm going to read far too much into a very minor piece of stage direction, if I may. Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. Larry Angelo does his last journal entry because he's taking his work underground. And he does like a, he does his big closing speech about how, you know, wisdom and uh, how wisdom is better than <laughs> ignorance. And he's performing this entire dramatic soliloquy to uh, a matchstick. Uh, and then it burns out at the end. Now, here's my bullshit. Prometheus. <laughs> Yes, I knew you were going. Gave it to humanity, thus spurring civilization. It's usually the symbol of uh, uh, advancement and scientific discovery, and also uh, the subtitle of the original novel of Frankenstein was the modern Prometheus. I have nothing more to add other than I reckon that's maybe why (laughs) they had him talking to a match. Otherwise, I don't know why they had him talking to a match. It might just be that Pierce Brosnan was bored at this point and was considering. Fire to Maybe. the set so he could claim insurance. For some reason, I've been given a second chance. So I'm taking my work underground. I can't let it fall into the wrong hands again. If we can somehow embrace our wisdom instead of ignorance, 
This technology will free the mind of man. Not enslave it. So I'll start with uh, the newbie to The Law Merman, Patrick. Mm. Summary, would you recommend The Law Merman? Final thoughts? Uh, I would recommend it because, just because of the nature of, the, I, I suppose, the context of the time The Law Merman was made. And I watched it with my brother, who had never seen it as well. And I said, do you want to watch this? And was, yeah, cool. I kind of explained a little bit about it. And he was on board because... It, he quite enjoyed it because it was a nonsense film that explored a vaguely <laughs> VR and horror in the early nineties where, and you know, the selling point of these visual effects at the time. And it's really good to look back on what the visual effects were there compared to now and how they were used for film. But this is rubbish. <laughs> 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 just uh, as a closing point uh, I, I and it's got i don't know it's got some sort of cult infamy hasn't it because i remember these scenes and i've not even seen the film but i've obviously seen these films down the line in different examples and programs and comparison pieces and i i don't know i found myself i, I thought it was too long just as a, as a point of um comment about the script anyway but there were parts i kind of enjoyed mainly pierce brosnan what about you devlin i would say that as we've mentioned pierce brosnan's massively admirable commitment to this film sums up everything that is good about it it's like it's a film that's totally oblivious to how shit it's being which is always the best type of shit film what it also means is that the script is kind of riddled with just forehead slapping moments and Sometimes they are brilliant, as in all of the awful dialogue being delivered with this huge gravitas. And other times it just, it, it kind of drags or you you sort of vacillate between wanting it to be an actual good film, or at least a better version of what it is, and then just reveling in its deep stupidity. Um, a chimp goes on a robot-assisted murder spree, though, so that immediately puts it in the best 10 films i've ever seen in my life <laughs> uh, it's, i don't know it's like a it's 90s excess but it's 90s excess on an adorably yeah. small scale because it can't really afford to be excessive and that just makes it quite lovable i would say watch it don't watch it too often though because i think the magic will be lost with something like this i don't want to revisit mm, it yeah, anytime soon. it's a bad movie you could you could uh watch it on an annual thing but I don't know. So for me, it's it's a recommend, just for once. Uh, how about you, Gally? Yeah, I'm hearing both of you. This is a terrible film. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's crazy stupid. And I think of all of Stephen King's adaptations, which have deviated from the source material, you know, The Shining is probably the, the most infamous. But I would suggest that The Little Merman could very well be the most ridiculous. I would recommend this film for all those people who love to watch So Bad It's Good films. Like The Lawnmower Man is like silly. It's like a crazy B-movie. It would now, if it was made today, would be on like the Sci-Fi channel. Um, and it's trying its best like it, to, to warn you of, you know, these impending dangers of the digital world. And there were so many films in that era, you know, The Net, uh, Virtuosity, mm. 
um even later on like antitrust but what it does do is it kind of suffers a bit i agree with you patrick it suffers a bit in the pacing in act two um i don't think it really satisfies your bloodlust in act three when it becomes no, not a sort of carry uh clone uh however it's got killer cyber chimps and it's got gratuitous cyber sex and some of the funniest lines of dialogue i've ever heard <laughs> so Yes, I will ironically recommend The Lawnmower Man for people like myself who enjoy this type of low-level grade genre fare. But if you, but if you think this is bad, <laughs> then uh, <laughs> then uh, you really should watch Lawnmower Man oh, 2 yes. Cyberspace. Uh, or is it Cyberspace, or, Cyberspace Joe's or Joe's War? It's got both titles. Are they two different no. films? No, they just got two different titles but because one was released on in Amazon, Europe and one was released in the US. It had like two different years for it as well. Theatrically okay. released in the States, but in, in Europe it was just a home video release. Is that right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. 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 Okay. I want to see it though because Devlin told me there's sword fighting in it. It is ripped off from a hook. There are lost boys. There is a climactic sword fight. There are flying sequences. Uh, there's a, wow. a, a middle-aged man rediscovering his youth. Now nah, that's bullshit. Right. Well, we'll say our say our goodbyes. So I'll say thanks very much, guys, for joining me. And it's uh, it's Gally in Glasgow signing out. And Devlin in London. Thank you very much for joining us. And Patrick in Leicester. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. This is a dream. So let me take you on a trip. This is a dream, a virtual reality. Virtual reality is walking around you. Virtual reality is looking for you. Virtual Let me take you on a ride.